This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Hey, this is Jedi Master Rob LaBerry, host of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast, and you're listening to... Wait, hold on, hold on one second. What the force? Hey, hey, aren't you Dr. Sonny Ravencourt of the University of Coruscant? Nope. No, you absolutely are. I recognize you. Now, you were in the archives not too long ago. I believe you were on a tour, a guided tour. Uh... Look, here's the deal. This temple is not open to outsiders without escort. So you're going to just have to move right along or I'm going to have to get Jedi Temple security. Oh, come on. I can't get this kind of information at the University of Coruscant. Look at this transcription. This Jedi was murdered. All right. Uh, that That's it. We're not going to have this conversation. Padawan, please go get the temple guards. Oh, I really don't think you need to call Jedi secure. Okay, here they come. I got to go. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. Goodbye, Dr. Ravencourt. All right, all right sorry about that. Uh, where was I? Oh, right. And you're listening to Conversations Podcast with Pat and Charles. It's a translation to a Star Wars nation. It's a celebration. Hello, and welcome to Conversations. I'm Charles. And I'm Pat, and this is Episode 84 Star Wars. This incredible vision was conceived in the mind of George Lucas. Back in a time when practical effects and illusionary filming allowed his dream to leap to screen. But as technology advanced, George was determined not to let his masterpiece age like a sunburned Rodian. <laughs> Effective, because, you know, they're amphibian-like. It ain't pretty. Right. It ain't pretty. This is the UG versus SE. What does UG and SE stand for? Okay, so it's ungeorged. Ah. Uh-huh. And a special edition. Gotcha. Okay. Where okay. George added all his extra little things. Right. In the special edition. Right. Right. Okay. This is on George. This is like before George. Right. Did his thing. I mean, it's after George did his thing, but be- you know, don't worry about. It. So uh, <laughs> we'll so, get to that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Before we get into the episode, we got uh, some great feedback from Seven Ghost Pepper. First of all, thank you very much for listening and even extra thanks for reaching out to us and communicating with us and, you know, making it a very interactive experience. We really appreciate that. And furthermore, having the wherewithal to correct yours truly, because Lord knows Charles is incapable of doing that. Because <laughs> I just believe everything you say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yep, me too, buddy. Hi, Charles. Just listen to the Endor episode and the dork and me want to clarify something in which I think was missed. The ocean Death Star wreckage was not on the forest moon of Endor, but rather on the other moons called Kefbir. No worry about the Ewoks surviving, despite the protection Pat mentioned. So, to clarify, it wasn't on the forest moon of Endor. It was on the closest moon of Endor. <laughs> Got <All> it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Seven, Ghost, and Pepper. I appreciate your dorkness. That makes three of us. Ah. <laughs> uh... <laughs> And not only did he stop there, he listened to our next episode, which is fantastic. 
Hi, Charles. Listen to the whole lightsaber technique episode this morning at work. It may sound silly, but I too totally saw Rey using the same striking motions that Palpy used in episode 3 when episode 7 premiered. Of course, everyone then predicted Rey was a Solo or Skywalker or even Kenobi, but I kept saying to my buddies, look, she fights like Palps. I agree that JJ and company had no clue about the overall story arc, and that is a failed at sequel trilogy, alongside pissing off Luke fans. Still, for me, the Rey and Kylo story is the strongest part of it. Luke's treatment, Canto Bite, and reducing Finn to a Rey fanboy are the biggest problems. Anyway, I don't understand the lightsaber forms. Where does someone research it? Which, of course, I did send him some links, and uh, you told me that one of the resources that you use, so I sent that over to him. <laughs> it's, it's funny because um, with the uh, perceived lack of direction with Episode 7, there are a lot of breadcrumbs and hints towards that, regardless. Yeah. And um, even down to like some of the musical notes in Ray's theme. Are um, are like major key, like influenced by the minor key that um, is the imperial music, you know? Absolutely. And that's Which the thing. Is very cool. Yeah. Whether or not those were planned ahead of time or inspirations, you know, the sequel trilogy has been a struggle for a lot of people. And it's yeah. about understanding where someone's opinion comes into it and listening to it and say, hey, that's your opinion. You watch these movies. It's completely subjective. And, uh, that's what makes the fandom great, or it can be great that way if you are able to listen to someone's opinion and let them have that and not force your own on them. So we really appreciate your opinion. And, Seven Ghost and Pepper. And keep them coming. We'd love to have them. And if everybody else wants to send us comments or questions, we'll uh, read them and answer them live. And this show will be interactive. And we really appreciate it. Yeah. You start out with the, the tech of the 70s. When he's coming up with the idea, you know, early 70s, mm -hmm. he's got the idea based on the old Kurosawa and uh, Westerns and all and um, the hero's journey and everything. So he has this Flash Gordon like idea and wants to, you know, make a movie. And, you know, the stuff that's going on in his head is kind of not possible. Right. So, you know, they had like rudimentary uh, computer graphics and the green screens. You know, which had been around for 25 years at that point, but um, didn't really prove their worth until Superman in 75. Mm. Okay. We could talk to our friends at the Science Fictionary and see if, if they would agree that Superman's use of the green screens uh, were really the first to come into that age of like, wow, this is believable that a man can fly. Right. Right. And they would know so, that. Yes. That was two years prior to Star Wars coming out when they really truly got a handle on the green screen. Right. And, you know, and then of course there were like stop motion effects and everything that were used like on Tauntauns and stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And my favorite, the petroleum jelly. So what they did uh, do you, are you not familiar with the petroleum jelly? No, I mean, no one can see me right now. My mouth is agape. So, yeah, you're petroleum so, jelly. It's the, it's the most ridiculous thing. Now, now, what you can do is watch our ungeorged uh, digital uh, renditions of the, of the films. When you see Luke in the Landspeeder uh -huh. traversing the desert, it was a car okay. with wheels. And... So the way that they blurred out the wheels 
was to slap petroleum jelly on the lens. Oh my like, gosh. Like smear under the land speeder so it didn't look like there were wheels. So the camera <laughs> had to be like, like perfectly aligned thing. to the vehicle yes. in the panning yes. shot. Wow. <laughs> yes. It's like the cheesiest thing, but but for the time it worked. Well, yeah, yeah. So then as technology progresses and you're able to achieve the same effect without petroleum jelly, <laughs> um, you know, typically that's that's what one would do if they had the opportunity to do right. it over again uh, with newer and better technology. Right. I could just see like George taking a Q-tip to the lens and like. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, petroleum exactly. Jelly. <laughs> it's so weird. What I remember hearing or reading somewhere was that uh, electing to start with four, five, six, and having sort of the sketch idea of what one, two, three, and seven, eight, nine were in the whole saga, he felt that the middle chapters were the ones that he could make happen closest to the vision that he wanted to have. Yeah. And, you know, just for example, lightsabers. Okay. You have present day filming use for lack of a better term real lightsabers they use they use lightsabers that light up and and make the noises and do all the stuff so that's what they use in filming now but back you know when they did the first film um it was a stick with like foil wrapped around it right to give it that reflective quality and then uh, in in post they would superimpose the the light or the laser sword on top of it to get the effect of the lightsaber right okay so take that technique and imagine doing that in the battle of geonosis <laughs> yeah so so enough said uh, he was he was absolutely right in like this is not going to work for, you know, the the prequels because you've got not only that the lightsabers by themselves is like a no go. However, uh, in addition to that, four, five, and six are so lived in, and that's that's what was so remarkable about about the original trilogy was it was like gritty and dirty and like you know all the sci-fi of the time was like sterile and clean and and spacey and and a lot of it looks super cheesy because you couldn't really do it Mm -hmm. then you look at at the prequel era and the affluence of you know naboo and and coruscant and and the city planet and all that couldn't have done that right yeah i mean look look what they had to do just for the surface of the death star yeah yeah. Oh yeah. Which and looks the, fantastic. The, the maquettes, the, the models, and then you know matte the, paintings. The, and... uh, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And that's the thing. So the stuff that he had available, he used in new and creative ways, and the stuff that he needed, uh, like to create industrial light magic, mm-hmm. to use the Dijkstra fleck. John Dykstra was a lead developer um, on on cinematography, and they used a computer-controlled motion camera that used one of the old VistaVision cameras, and it had like hardwired circuits and all that, so he could 
computerize the shot and do it the exact same way each time. And then you fast forward to now, and that's the kind of stuff that they're doing with the volume. Right. It's doing that same sort of breakthrough technology where they can just hit the reset and run it again. Yeah, and it gives you the entire setting without being outside and not being, uh, you know, victim to Tunisian sandstorms, for example. Right, right. That's that's also true. So all these things that were not available that he absolutely needed, he had to come up with. And the scrolling of the opening crawl and the, you know, the, the panning across the Death Star surface and everything with the models and all um, were incredibly effective for the time. But you couldn't do what you can now. Right. You know, the sound like THX, for example. Yeah. He had to create THX to to get the sound quality that he needed and wanted for for the films. Mm -hmm. And that all those different things played into the classics that we knew up until 1997. Now, you know, we had VHSs and you had certain media forms and you still had your widescreen editions, thankfully, which we digitized mm -hmm. and we still have. And are part of the foundation of this episode of the Unjorged editions versus the special editions, where you can go back and look at the original film. They have their, you know, their flaws, but their those flaws are well worn and loved. But when it comes time to 1997, and like you were saying, the tools to make those things even better became available, and that's where George re-released the special editions of A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi with enhancements she needs to the movies. Well, enhancements. Made changes to the movies <laughs> that, yes. that that he, he wanted to make and he would have made way back when um, with the technology of today. In an interview in 2004, he had said that the original releases of the original trilogy were about 30% what he envisioned 30 percent wow yeah so even with all the breakthrough cutting edge technology and everything that they either found got or created um he still had to make modifications himself hmm. and 2004 is a key year because that was the first year's release on dvd right so and it's, it's probably an interview related to that right yeah um yeah. So all that stuff was the best that he could do at the time. And when you're trying to make your you know, passion project as, as it was for George, I guess, um, if it's not perfect, I understand wanting to go back in and redo things. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. That's like the artist's you know, prerogative. You've got these things that you put out there, even though you've got, you've got years of separation from when they were released to where you are. It's a mailable form that he obviously has the wherewithal to do. But, you know, it's one thing to release them in theaters, like the special editions, versus the DVD releases in 2004, which provided him, like, the first real total control over the uh, the look and feel that, you know, the technology from 1997 took leaps and bounds from, you know, where we get to in 2004. So he's got even more tinkering ability. So oh, yeah. each iteration gets a little bit more tweaked and... Again, we'll talk about those different things, but it's very interesting as a perspective from someone who can do these things and he owns them. They're his. So, hey, why not? 
and this is what's going to happen. You like it or you don't, but this is this is what I'm doing. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it comes down to whoever owns them can make changes. Right, right. And <laughs> for better or for worse. Uh, so even <laughs> even once Disney uh, acquired the franchise, they made some changes. Yes. The first and most notable of the changes was, you know, the opening crawl changing from Star Wars to Episode Four, Star Wars: A New Hope. Yeah, yeah. That fell into, I mean, as early as my first viewing of Empire Strikes Back, my first exposure to Star Wars, the release of that movie was at that point termed Star Wars: A New Hope to fall in right. with the Empire Strikes Back, and then um, to come the Return of the Jedi. So, and that made sense, you know, the it's it's sort of bringing it forward and that's one of the key points to think about when we're talking about all of this george is always looking to what had had come before to make changes to what comes after and that's commendable in that sense to make more of a linear story especially when it comes to the uh prequel trilogy yeah and that's you know again you've got where it all started with four five and six and then then you you have to have that end point yeah. With episode four, when you do the prequels, and yeah. then you have to have that launching off point from episode six with the Disney Plus shows and and, and uh, with the sequel trilogy and all that good stuff. Right. However, um, the animation of the Dewbacks when the, when the, the stormtroopers are looking f- uh, for the escape pod. Yes. Gotcha. OK. The uh-huh. droids were in. Yep. So I feel like they were cardboard cutouts or maybe painted plywood. <laughs> um in the initial um because maybe they were sculpted statues i don't know charles i don't know you weren't there however um <laughs> you know when when we see the re-release they move and they like uh, you know walk and noises as do backs do as we all know they look like actual conceivable rides yes for these stormtroopers you know because otherwise you're like what are they doing sitting around on these Big lizards that don't even do anything. And don't you move. Know? It's like such a weird thing because they're, they're not moving at all. Uh, anyway, so so that's the, the first thing. And they, they move and they growl and, and it's like, all right, cool. You know, like these things are big lizard horse um, <laughs> for for them to get around on, on the desert planet. It makes sense. And it makes total sense for the scene because you think that this is a more mobile and functional scene that they're actually walking around looking for things and. You know, it's... and who wants to walk around and look for things when you can get a giant lizard to do it for you? Right. Or holding a very big comb. And we ain't found. Sh- right. <laughs> <laughs> look, sir. Droid. <laughs> so then, of course, Luke's land speeder. <laughs> Sans petroleum not jelly. Only, <laughs> not only is there no petroleum jelly and you don't see the wheels, but it actually like kind of bounces a little bit. Uh huh. Uh-huh. It hovers yep. like a hovercraft would. Yeah. Um, that's another sort of benefit to that technology where it looks more realistic. Yes. It doesn't look like a car um, <laughs> with, uh, with uh, a you know, land speeder um, customization kit. <laughs> but I think the most important part is when we get to Moss Eisley and we see how busy it is. With the droids and the, the Rontos and the Jawas and, and all the speeders kind of here and there. And it's just it's the busy spaceport. Yes. And it's and there's like several new scenes, just entire new scenes. And mm-hmm. um, 
comedic in certain senses because of the Jawa, like you said, falling off the Ronto and, you know, and dangling. And so there's like a bit of that sort of playfulness feel that George had introduced um, or will, would introduce at this point in the uh, prequel trilogy. Um, it's overly busy, you know, because you get the sense that it's like you said, it's a, it's a busy spaceport. But you don't know where to look. I mean, there's like just so much stuff going on. It's it, oh, there's the Which skeeter. Great, because then you don't look at the scruffy nerf herder and his big hairy friend. <laughs> exactly. Think about it. It makes sense. That does totally make sense. So there's a whole bunch of stuff going on there. And then you come into, you know, the, the cantina area. And there's a few changes in there as well. One of the ones that I first picked out for some strange reason is there's a green domed r2 unit that's in the foreground just as they're pulling into the uh checkpoint where these are the droids you're looking for and right. he's coming across the screen and like really like all you see is basically his dome i remember seeing that's like oh my god is that like r2's brother that's literally what i thought when i was young because like oh look at that it's like same coloration and everything and in this in the special editions it's ba what i think is like a ronto leg is like covering like 90% of the screen and covers that droid entirely until they, until the speeder pulls in. And I just, that's one of those things like, okay, artistically speaking, I don't get it. I mean, it's, it's, you're completely obliterating that R2 unit for whatever reason. I don't know because we see another R2 unit, like several scenes later, different coloration and stuff. I'm not sure why I fix it on this one, but it makes the least amount of sense. Like if you take what you were talking about before, where the artist and he's, this was thirty percent of the vision I wanted. I, I find it hard to believe that back in seventy six he's filming this. You know, I, I really wish. Leg I wish I had a dinosaur leg that covered the entire <laughs> scene. But you know what? We'll just let this droid come across the screen. We're okay there. But anyways, yeah. that was the only reason why I thought that was because, like I said, I thought it was the brother of R two because he looked just like him, but it was green. Such a weird thing, because so there's a Ronto there. All right, cool. Like. Like, does it need to step right in front of the camera? I don't think so. <laughs> does it add any value to the scene? No, no. not really. No. It also doesn't add any value to the scene inside the cantina. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're talking about the Wolfman being taken out, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, Han shot first, and then Han didn't shoot first. Hmm. And not only that. Was it Greedo's first day on the job? I feel like it was Greedo's first day on the job. Okay? Because this fool is trying to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with, with Han Solo. Which, I mean, I guess if you come out victorious, you get some street cred. However, have you seen this guy's aim? Mm. If you're going to have him shoot first, like it, it, does, mm, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. So... The origin of the change was because we didn't want Han Solo to be perceived as a scoundrel. He's a scoundrel. Yes. Even though, like, he's a smuggler. Like, he's not a great guy. And the rest of the trilogy, um, you know, uses that to their advantage. We're like... He's just in it for the money, kid. And then he leaves at the Battle of Yavin, but then he has a change of heart and he comes back. And then, you know, after, uh, you know, on Hoth, he's like, oh, I gotta go pay Java and all this. <laughs> so then 
he he's gonna leave and then oh and then he helps him again. You know, it's like so so all this stuff happens and he has changes of hearts because he's initially not a good guy. Right. That's the beauty of it, is he changes. He becomes a better person. Mm-hmm. And he stops shooting first sometimes. <laughs> this defines his character arc. It sets him off from the start as like, do we trust him? All the way to Return of the Jedi, where we absolutely trust him. But because it starts off with the ruthlessness of fearing for his own life, he takes action first. And that's the thing, is this guy's pointing a blaster at his face. Right. And one, he still misses. So no, no, I don't buy it. (laughs) Second of all, this guy's pointing a blaster at his face, he says, over my dead body, and he says... That's the idea. That's yes. In in Rodian, he says. Yes. Uh, but it's like so. Basically, he's telling you he's about to blast you. Of course, that's self defense at that point. You yeah. don't have to have him shoot first in order to. I mean, this guy's threatening you with a with a gun. Yeah. I mean, it'd be smart to have yours pulled under the table and then pew pew. So yeah. it doesn't make him a terrible person. In fact, he shot first. Okay. No. I mean, he's he's not the most upright guy. Mm-hmm. But like. That's the whole idea. So to change that for that reason is is nonsense. That's pretty egregious. Yeah, and they would tweaked it too. Like in twenty, well, obviously they redid it in ninety seven, tweaked it in two thousand four, and then did the same thing in twenty eleven. And each time they cut the scene down a little bit to make it look like it was closer and head tilt on Han. It was just yeah. But so it, he does like a night at the Roxbury when Greedo shoots and he, he misses him with the blaster ball. It's like. <laughs> Come on, man. This blaster's like 18 inches from his head, and this guy's going to miss? Come on. <laughs> so, I mean, he doesn't have Jedi reflexes, okay? No. What is like? It's... Maybe it don't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> you, me, you, me. So, um, it's ridiculous. And then, sorry about the mess, and he flips a uh, coin to the barkeep to uh, clean up this trash. And uh, what did he do? He heads out to get the ship ready. And what does he find? A bunch of nonsense. (laughs) So, all right. So when you first see the movies, and he's like, oh, I got to pay Java. I owe Java this money. And and you're like, oh, who's Java? Like, this dude sounds like a threat. Like, oh, Han Solo's scared of this guy? I'm scared of this guy because he's scared of this guy. You know? So there's this whole air of mystery to it. And... And you're like, oh, Java, yeah, okay. I mean, like, uh, that, that'll be interesting. He says Java's name, and Java's like, you called? <laughs> and you're like, no, I didn't. I just, okay, he's here now. Awesome. <laughs> so it's just, and I guess they were unclear on what they were going to do with Java. So I had, like, this Night's Watch guy from the, you know, the the North Wall of, uh, you know, of the Game of Thrones over here with this, like, Wookie pelt on and some crazy nonsense oh and that's supposed to be Jabba which is ridiculous because it's like you know uh, Robert Baratheon over there and uh, it's it's utterly ridiculous but they shoot this scene with this guy and then they take it out of the movie because it's stupid <laughs> so then when they go to put in a special edition like we've already seen Jabba we know what Jabba looks like now so they're like, all right, I put this slug over here. But he's like less of a slug. So they do that. But it's just like, 
you're giving away the reveal. You can't do that. Now, okay, I agree with that because the way – Of it, course you do because it's the right answer. <laughs> the way that A New Hope is set up, you have that mystery, and I completely agree with it. The yeah. fact, The fact that not only does it introduce Jabba as Lame. this human who was – like you said, it was filmed as – and deleted – because they, he couldn't necessarily do what he wanted to get done for the creature or whatever it was going to end up being, which didn't make much sense to me, but I understood sort of in one part. And then you also see Boba Fett, which is the other part of it, like two extremely influential characters in the trilogy way ahead of where we see them. Uh, part of me wants to say that, OK, he filmed it and went through all these different things and the scenes looked pretty finished, meaning lighting it wasn't like these crappy um, you know, one shot takes, ah, this is not working. It was like, I, I, I hope I can fit this in. And it's like, at the end of the day, he couldn't, whether it was money, whatever. Um, but it, the, what for me, I'm in it for the money <laughs> for me, the key part was Hans line. You're a wonderful human being. So Harrison Ford delivered those lines. That was in the script. He was speaking to a human being. He wasn't speaking to a hut. He wasn't speaking to some nebulous creature that George couldn't necessarily put together. So he said that, and unfortunately, he kept that in the special edition, which makes zero sense. Um, but that's for me. That's like that. Those are the two the two halves of that scale that I keep thinking about. Ultimately, agreeing that not having the scene there at all makes the story so much better. But it's just those two things that like come up. It's like it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, I mean, I. The only redeeming quality for me with that scene is that Han calls him a wonderful human being. <laughs> because, <laughs> because of the, the it's irony. Just such a, it's just such a smart-ass response that you're like, yeah, Han would totally say that. Because, I mean, I'm sure there's there's a certain, like, clout as a hut, but dude doesn't want to be a space slug. Right. You know that dude would like to have two legs. <laughs> So, so for Han to be like, Java, you're a wonderful human being. He's like, that is, you know, <laughs> like, like, it's just one of those things that, you know, is just Han ripping into him. Yeah. And that's the only part of that that I actually do appreciate, which is saying something because there's not much of that that I do <laughs> because it's a bad scene. It doesn't need to be there. Right. Because then you've got an empire hans going to lando and cloud city and all that and he's still he's still got to pay back java and all this it's like man this java dude like thumbs up with this guy like we better be weary of that but then like you've seen him already yeah and he's just like in a space hangar yeah. when you see him in in jedi it's like man he's on his throne and stuff yeah. he's got yeah. all these minions around he's got people with blasters he's got dancers and mm -hmm. like he's got his own private band and all this dude's got something going on. You, happen in hangar, place. It's a, you know what? No, you see him in the hangar and it's like that hut that was in the band in Star Wars Visions. That's what he reminds me of. Ah, well, nice. It's, it's, it's No, it's not nice. It's ridiculous. <laughs> well, connection wise, it's nice. But yes. Yeah, but it's ridiculous. So <laughs> those are two like worst changes they I are think. greedo shooting first and then java even being there and number three is raising han to make it look like he's stepping over the tail of java and java's face reacting to han stepping over his tail in the back of him because in the original well, uncut right. scene he was walking around a human now he's walking around a slug so they had to i mean that was 
yeah, that's just yeah. So so if they get rid of that scene, then they don't have to have Levitation Han over there yes. doing his his <laughs> thing. Um, now before we leave Tatooine, there's two things I wanted to bring up. Okay. Um, one was the R two hiding in the little sort yeah, of yeah in the in the in the Indiana Jones Valley. right. Yes, as yeah. after Luke was attacked. Now, right. I get that. How did R2 make it out of there being hidden just in this little alcove when you can clearly see his lights and stuff like that? The extra rock that's protecting or covering him on the left-hand side. Okay, I can sort of get it. It's there. It's obvious, but it's not so agreed. It's not one of those things that's like, like we just said, like a Greedo shot first or, or Java. Well, you might not have seen his lights because at the time he had EverReady batteries. <laughs> and then they went back in and they put the Energizer Energizer, in. right. <laughs> So then they were brighter. They actually they worked. His sound was louder. Right. Okay. Right. He's so back in full mean, power. So it's an honest mistake. Right. Okay. So the rock does come into play. The other part there right. in that same scene is Ben's scream has gone through a lot of changes. Uh, like the way he screams to scare away the Tuscans. Yeah, and it's inhuman at first. Yes. Yeah. It's just weird. It's like some weird like animal shriek. It's fine, but like I don't think it's something that it's possible for a human to do, not even a Jedi. Right. And then it sort yeah. of morphs into something more animalistic, like you're saying, you know, and then the last iteration. Yeah. And what's cool about that is that the Mandalorian used the same sound for the crate dragon um in the episode with the crate dragon, which was a fantastic right. callback to that. So that was just one of pointing those out those two little bits there. Yeah, and with the whole idea of communicating with animals, um, you would you would kind of learn those tips and tricks, mm-hmm. and especially if you're a force sensitive that is very keen on that relationship to to animals and creatures, like Obi Wan is. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful idea, but like initially it was executed so like strangely because yes. it's such a weird noise. Mm-hmm. But then it becomes something that that you could conceivably believe that a human could make. Right, because you're disassociating that sound with Ben, who's coming over the over the rise. Yeah, like you think they're yeah. spooked by him versus that sound that he supposedly made. Exactly. I don't know if he's got like a little like a harmonica in his pocket that makes weird noises like that. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so then you get to the good stuff, like. The space battles and the explosion of Alderaan and stuff like that. Okay. Before we get to that, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Okay. Ah, this thing won't start. Hi, I'm Dad Tresco Jr. of Tresco's Family Speeders. This weekend only, it's an explosion of savings. Get double the value for your trade towards a new X36 Landspeeder, no matter the condition. Stop in to see our friendly staff. These savings won't last long at either of our Alderaan locations, located in the third sector or our flagship store in the Central Spaceport today. All right, and we are back. Uh, thanks to uh, our sponsors. And uh, funny you should mention Alderaan because uh, they're having a blowout sale there. <laughs> oh, oh that's, it's an explosion that's... of savings. <laughs> <laughs> an explosion of savings. So ridiculous. Uh... <laughs> oh, man. Initially, they had, I think it was called uh, Blue Screen Composite Shot Technology. 
which is when they had like the the starscape and then like the tie fighters on like sheets in front of it like you know so that they were flying right and like you could see the edges of that you know they, they did their best to to disguise it but if you look closely at the originals you can see that they're on like separate sheets yeah, of paper. Yeah, there's squares around them. Yeah. For, for lack of a better term. Yeah. So these TIE Fighters and X-Wings are doing that and all. And you just kind of see the X-Wings like out there like flying. But when they're getting ready to battle Yavin and all, like they got the S-Foils in attack position. Mm-hmm. And they're like, they open up and everything. It's cool. Like you see cooler stuff. Yes. You know, and then they, you know, the TIEs are doing better maneuvers. But, you know, so that kind of stuff is just so much more realistic i mean you know realistic it's a space battle but um yeah you know when you're talking about yeah yeah. (laughs) exactly you're talking about like world war ii dogfights which were a huge influence for that scene you really get that feel a lot more with the with the new change absolutely and that those are those are some of the best changes where you got those like special effects um enhancements colors speed changes and additional shifts it's like it fits in with the enhancements versus like core story changes it just makes more sense there and adds so much more drama to it and they're more subtle too because you don't realize unless you're looking at you know a juxtaposition of what it was versus what it is now and you say wow that is much better and but it doesn't stand out as like oh my god there's three extra x-wings you know it's like oh look at those x-wings this is fantastic exactly because it's a battle you're not gonna have three ships Right. Okay. Um, so that being said, like those things are changes that absolutely make sense. Yeah. That don't detract from or change the story. They enhance the story in a, a very organic way. Yeah. And if we're talking before about deleted scenes that were inserted back into the story of Jabba uh, as an unfortunate piece, one of the best pieces that he put back in was the big Starklighter part. And how how much more depth in those few seconds of dialogue between the commander, Luke, and Biggs wraps that story around and also gives way more weight to Biggs's unfortunate death on the uh, in that run. It's it gives more story to where Luke came from and where he is now. Right. It it enhances the world. Yeah. Okay. Because you hear him, you know, talking about. Biggs and Tank and yep. you know how they've moved on and he's stuck with stupid Uncle Owen with these bunk ass droids and stuff and like he can't get off this rock because he's gotta be here for this and everything. And he's like he's embittered, you know, about his situation, which I don't blame him. He's stuck on a rock with two sons. Like that sucks. <laughs> but the fact is he's lamenting the loss of his friends to the academy and then and then being flipped over to the rebels yeah. and all this so then to to meet up after presumably not having seen him since biggs left is like oh it's just a great reunion and all we gotta you know just uh, fight this battle and then we'll catch up over some blue milk and you know we'll really kind of you know now you're part of this rebellion that yeah. i'm so passionate about and then big Biggs doesn't make it it's it adds more weight to the plight of the rebellion because now you've got okay so the character you've already invested in luke uh knows someone that's just been killed in this battle Mm -hmm. and so then it's uh, more personal for him because out there they're on a planet that's farthest from 
all this action yeah. and everything that's going on in the galaxy. Yeah. So, and like in Kenobi, you've got oh, you know, we're on the outer rim. Like you don't you don't have any power here, right? Like the Empire doesn't really have an influence on Tatooine. So Luke doesn't really have a vested interest until Obi Wan's like, you you to come with me to Alderaan and all. And apparently he's a beetle, but um, <laughs> so. So he's going to start singing Imagine and it's great Ben Starr. It's Paul McCartney, I think. He's, he's probably the Paul. Uh, uh, but anyway, he's kind of like doing it because he's got nobody else but old Ben. He likes this girl he saw in a hollow vid. He's like, all right, sure, <laughs> let's, let's do, do it. it. <laughs> but then when he meets back up with Biggs, he's like, yeah, okay. This is, he's passionate about this, so am I. Like, and then he loses Biggs, so it's like, man, these, these people have affected me personally now. Yeah, and you've got then the commander who asks, like, uh, can you handle this? And then Biggs vouches for him, and yeah, he gives him that vote of confidence. Does. He's the best brush pilot in the Outer Rim. Exactly. That's a good scene to put back in there. Um, yeah. The other scene that was uh, pretty cool is when I never realized this until doing some research for this, is when the Millennium Falcons first arriving on Yavin, before the Battle of Yavin, uh, and yeah. the guy up in the tower with like the speed, you know, the speed thing. The original yeah. the, in the original movie, there's nothing there. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's just empty skies. Like, what is he tracking? And then in the special yeah. editions, the insert of the Millennium Falcon is like, wow, for real? <laughs> yeah, he's like he's trying to figure figure out where he parked. He's up on a thing. He's like, hey, anybody hear a beeping? Is there a beeping? Red A-Wing. Anybody see Red (laughs) A-Wing? Red A-Wing. So it's just a weird thing where it's almost like they forgot to impose the Falcon on that the karate like matte painting on top. They just forgot. And then like they release it and he's like, oh wow, I leave it in. And then George is when they do the update, he's like, we gotta put the Falcon (laughs) in there. It doesn't make sense otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that I never realized that until then, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. He's just, uh... Yeah, because you watch it and you're like, oh, yeah. what is he doing up there? Well, I guess he's like scanning for yeah. like vampires. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, man. That's it's just good. weird. But yes, but, the battle. Yeah, so the battle. Visually, it's similar. But then when the Death Star blows up, spoiler alert, they blow up the Death Star. It's a bigger explosion. Real science nerd people are like, it wouldn't do that in space, but it's not science fiction, it's space fantasy, right. so they can do whatever they want. Yes. But yeah, the explosion is more extravagant. Uh, but the trench run itself is pretty much untouched, because how awesome was it to begin with anyway? So who needs to oh, yeah, you know, mess around with perfection on that? So then, you know, you get to the end, and then you fast forward three years to Empire, right? Right. And with the some of the tech that they tweaked and, and created for A New Hope has advanced at this point as well. And I remember when we were first talking about this episode, and I did a little bit of research. There's a lot of changes in A New Hope, some changes in Empire, and there's a little less in Jedi. And yeah. all. So as time goes on, technology improves. Exactly. And then you can do more with the current tech than you could three years ago or six years prior. So you've got more capabilities, so you're closer to your vision anyway. It's more of like a tweaking here here and there versus what New Hope was, was like some categorically huge changes. Yeah. So they did go motion tauntauns, which were like almost like a hybrid stop motion type of technology, which is cool, but it's still choppy. 
you know. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, when you when you go on the special editions on Hoth, you've got them actually like almost galloping. Yeah, gallop. Does the Tauntaun gallop? Yeah, I think so. I go with gallop. I think that that should be a thing. Like, you know, does a bear poop in the woods or whatever? It's like, <laughs> oh, does a Tauntaun gallop? <laughs> I think that should be a thing. That should be a saying. Hey, was the pizza good tonight? There's a Tauntaun gallop in the snow. <laughs> right. Like, Mando's going to use that in season three. I guarantee it. And we better get royalties, damn it. Exactly. That happens with the probe droid launching from the Star Destroyer and like pew, pew, yeah. going to different quarters of the galaxy. Like, that's all like cool stuff that mm-hmm. it was just like, oh, here's this model, like, meow, 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 yeah. just kind of up in the snow. But like to to see them, you know, originate from the Star Destroyer that's like search the corners of the galaxy and then they send them yeah. all out. It's yeah. cool. It is. And those those are the subtle changes that just make the the flow so much easier, you know? And it's the same thing yeah. with the Wampa's lair when yeah. Luke's in there. And the implied fear was already there. And the way they've approached uh-huh. it for the special editions and a few tweaks here and there for the 2004 2011 releases and certainly since disney took over just like some very obviously we're not talking 1980s technology with the way it's animated but it's not doesn't stand out as like a massive departures like you see it they're crunching on the bones versus just like this sort of furry torso on a set of casters that's a rolling by uh some walls and stuff yeah no it kind of reminds me of like a sandlot you know like when you see the the original, you see you know in the Sandlot with the with the dog, um, in the Sandlot. I haven't seen the Sandlot. <laughs> I'm not kidding. You're absolutely serious right now. You've not seen the. I Sandlot. am very serious. I have not seen the Sandlot, and I love baseball, and I love all the baseball movies. And I have not seen the Sandlot. Okay, so uh, I guess we're still on Twitter. Um, <laughs> I'm looking for a new co-host. You can email Charles um, <laughs> with your disappointments, and um, uh, we'll catch you in two weeks, I guess. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I will, because I've seen the Sandlot. <laughs> anyway, there's a dog in the Sandlot. Okay. And they see it through knot holes in the fence. Okay, yes. Okay. And so so them seeing this dog, this creature, is very frightening to them, you know, just seeing those glimpses of it, which is essentially what you get with the Wampa in the initial version of the film, because you see his face and his claw come after the Tauntaun, but then that's it. And then you see him lumbering through the thing while Luke's trying to reach for the saber. But you don't really see him until, like, Luke escapes with the saber and he does a slice and dice. Right. And that's similar to the space battles we've seen. It just gives a... Yeah. It enhances the scene, the fear of the scene that was already in there. Yeah. Something that, you know, is it necessary? No. But is it cool to see also? Yeah. I mean, he gets a threat. He's chewing on presumably part of the Tauntaun. Yeah. You know? So right. you know, he's eating on the Tauntauns like, oh, man, Luke's next because he's dessert, you know? <laughs> uh, Luke is sweet. Um, so, yeah. Aww. So then, um, you know, after the Wampus layer, we've got the space battle and the enhancements that were done in the well on the planet Hoth itself and also some part of the escape off off of Hoth. But, uh, yeah, there's some definite enhancements there and some of them similar to what they did with those cells around the uh, TIE fighters and stuff. Uh, you can sort of tell like those layerings were definitely improved 
Yeah, actually, they replaced the entire battle, um, the original battle, with a digital recreation. Dang. Okay, for, they read the whole thing. Yeah. Damn. Okay, yeah. So all that stuff is so much smoother, and there's more happening mm. as well with ships and and troops and all that kind of good stuff. So then I guess the other major change is just with Cloud City. Yes, and how for sure. it's busier. The sky um, just looks different. The, the colors are more brilliant, and um, like the cloud cars, there's there's more of them, and there there's just it's a city. It's Cloud City, so it feels more like that with the you know more droids, more creatures and people and all. Um, so it really gives it more of a hustle and bustle than than it did, which you know I. I I would likely attribute to do that. You need you know, a certain amount of extras and everything else. You know, do we really need it? Well, not really. We're still getting the point across. You know what I mean? Yeah. But then when you redo it, it's like, yeah, we could, you know, double the background characters and make it look more like what we want it to look like, you know? Yeah. And the color motifs and the beauty. I mean, obviously uh, it was yeah. beautiful to begin with when they first came in, uh, even in the original mm-hmm. version. And then they transferred that into more of the windows and the background scenery, the the gorgeous oranges and stuff like that. So it was a, a subtle but appropriate use of enhancements to make it just give that more lived in sense and a consistent look from the inside to the outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what's interesting, a couple of other little changes that are in there, Boba Fett's voice that went from yeah. original actor into Tamar Morrison's voice, which then again, what George was doing now, this is comes in the 2004 editions. Um, right. after the uh, prequels continuity of the characters and the subtle change like that was really cool yeah and you know it's uh, well why did they need to do that well, they didn't they didn't need to change it but it makes sense you know if you've got clone of tamara morrison he's gonna likely sound like tamara morrison right so why not put his voice in there and then of course if he's a clone of Django, he's going to look like Django. So then you're going to use him to play Boba. You know, it's, yep. I mean, it's, all of it, it fits. It makes sense. Um, and then you're going to use him to play a Clone Wars veteran. That's because so good. Clone troopers are also clones of Django. So, yep. <laughs> so totally it's, very, makes sense. it's all very cool. <laughs> Those are good um, changes as well. Uh, and then there's not so good changes like in Jabba's palace when um, they've they just made a freaking spectacle of that. Like it's it's like the house band that like tries too hard to be famous. Yes. And and you're like, just settle down. You're a house band. <laughs> like there's nothing wrong with a house band, but you're not the stones love. So right. like <laughs> just, you know, stay in your lane. Yes. So of course we're talking about return of the Jedi here. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah, that is. And the first appearance of Java. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a whole different vibe. Yes. Okay. Yeah. You've got, um, you know, the droids coming in and it's like, it's like chill. You know, you got like Java's got like a pipe. Yes. So I feel like he might be like a stoner. I don't know. But he's got this pipe. He's got like some chill music and they're like, you know singing these songs he's like a max rebo there and everything so it's like you know that's cool yeah 
But then it's like now they got like pyrotechnics and this dude with like slobber coming out of his mouth and stuff. It's like what 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 what's going on here? Taking up eighty percent of the of the frame again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like I, I I brush your teeth, buddy. Um. Furthermore. <laughs> Then you got like the 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 female singer with the like snoo- uh, size noodles. Yes. Um, like, I mean, it's all right, you know, but it completely changes the tone of the scene. It does. It goes from a, a sort of a uh, a den of a gangster to a yeah. happen and party place who happens to be run by a gangster. And right. Right. So like instead of you know t- t- token a little weed, maybe he's like snorting some coke. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's the vibe I get <laughs> yeah. when and I watch it, the George edition. And it Boba Fett goes weird. from Boba Fett to Boba Flirt. Uh, yeah. Just a very different Wait, did feel. did I have that in my notes? I felt like I had that in my notes. <laughs> oh, I, I have that in my notes. <laughs> my... That's awesome. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yep. And he's like brushing back aliens yeah. hair. And he's like, this is fine. But it's even better for like the robot chicken stuff where like <laughs> Boba's like such – got such swagger. Exactly, you know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the best. I have in my notes. Uh, Fed is more prominent. He even flirts with groupies. Oh my gosh! And I said Boba flirt. <laughs> <laughs> he flirts with groupies. Oh man. Fine. Is if that's what George wanted. All right. Fine. That's cool. But and I feel like it might be more of a distraction. So like, hey, you know, they brought in Chewbacca. Like, all right, cool. So now we have this this Wookiee that's friends with Han Solo. So like, you're not gonna so much question if you got all this lively stuff going on until she threatens him with a thermal detonator and then becomes the focus of the scene um so then you've got just more going on on their way to the pit of carcoon yes when everything goes to crap you know there's like a herd of banthas and the sail barge actually sails (laughs) and floats several feet off the off the sand according to his cast shadow (laughs) right and they, they didn't even have to buy petroleum jelly for this one. It was perfect. <laughs> so, um, and then only that. Then you see the Sarlacc. Yeah. And instead of being like a couple tentacles, it has like a beak and a tongue and stuff. It burps. Yeah. It's a little shop of Sarlacc. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's like George's son like drew a picture and he's like, yeah, put a beak on it. Like, <laughs> okay. But it's got like a lot more tentacles. So like yeah. that makes sense because... When you got all these characters around, it's like, how else is he going to grab a hold of Lando if he only has three tentacles? Right. And they're occupied. Yeah. 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 Right. Right. Mm-hmm. They're like trying to flip over, you know, skiffs and stuff. That kind of makes sense, makes it look more of a threat. Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah, put a carcoon, you got a Sarlacc, it's like a big whoop, a thing with two tentacles. Yeah. You know, like, please. now you've got like six of them. Um, no yeah. wonder Boba got out. Um,. <laughs> But then, yeah, now he's, this creature is a mess, and you don't want to mess with him. Yeah, and it's amazing when you think about that whole scene of and, and the amount of places where the Sarlacc is either in the foreground and the primary focus, or like when Han is trying to save Lando, who flew off the side of the skiff. That enhanced digital Sarlacc then needs to be replaced or changed in all of these different scenes, and that's not a short amount of scenes. So it's a it was quite the endeavor to make that happen. Yeah, it just makes it seem more of a garbage disposal. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, no, absolutely. Like, job is like, ah, oh, what do I do with this guy? Throw him in a pit. You know, <laughs> like, like, uh, if, like, like the Rancor already ate today, so it's like that. He's like taking a nap now. He's hibernating. So like, 
oh, we got to take him somewhere else. You know what I mean? Because he ate the Gamorrean already. That's right. And the and the dancer. That's right. That's true. So like, and he's not like super huge. So like, that's probably a good meal for him. He's probably gonna sleep for two or three days now. It's like an alligator. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's like he's it's like Thanksgiving. <laughs> so he's eating all his, his tryptophan and the Twi'lek and all. So he's taking a nap. So then Jabba's like, oh, crap. I got this Jedi and his pals. What do I do? I would throw him in a pit. <laughs> so, I mean, it makes sense. You're going to go throw him in a pit. So that looks different and that looks cooler. And, uh, you know, more tentacles equals more danger, obviously. Yes. Like, clearly, that's science. Um, <laughs> then the next major change that I've noticed was the Death Star destruction celebration. From Endor. Yes. And it's very intimate. You come back from Luke having his little funeral pyre for his father. And he comes back and is happy. The last movie was not happy at the end. Right. Um, and so this is like, you know, he's reconciled things with his father. Vader's turned to the light. And the Emperor's dead. Maybe. Um, <laughs> but then you've got this ragtag group of a few people uh, or, you know, a couple dozen or whatever that are like, you know, it's over. We can breathe a sigh of relief and, and then have trooper stew that these Ewoks made or something. <laughs> and it's very intimate, which falls in line with that whole end of, of the film with the whole interaction between Anakin and Luke and Luke and Leia and Han and Leia yep. and then Luke coming back to his friend. You know, so all this stuff is very intimate at the end of this film. And so to have that celebration very isolated and intimate fits. But apparently George discussed that in the production for Return of the Jedi uh, about having this like galaxy wide celebration and they just weren't able to pull it off for whatever reason wow okay so since the film was was first being made he had that idea so you know now that he was able to do it sure he did. had to do it right but uh again it, it turns it more from like memorial day into fourth of july hmm, that's a great analogy and the other term that i would use in there that i wrote down was the celebration like yub nub was more native and uh, the tonality fit with the scale that they were, were approaching. But I had no idea that originally George had this sort of galactic celebration in mind that he just couldn't pull off. So, wow. The victory celebration is my alarm on my phone. So, okay, fine. Like, it's cool. <laughs> but Yubnub is so organic yep. to the scene. And, I mean, that's my bop when we're in the, when in the, in the car. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, obviously a fanboys reference. And if you haven't seen fanboys, you need to. Yes. They go a little a little wild with the yub nub. Um, very which, good. I mean, very I mean I'm so. all for it. But um, speaking of that ending scene, mm -hmm. you've got, uh, you know, Luke uh, reuniting with his friends and his uh, fellow uh, freedom fighters. And then he looks over and sees the approval of obi-wan and yoda mm -hmm. and then his father shows up yes and uh of force ghost of course right and initially it was uh sebastian shaw who who was the face of anakin in that scene right so then in the specials they obviously changed it to a more familiar anakin 
to most audiences when they put in Hayden Christensen Mm -hmm. in there, Mm -hmm. which I get why they did it. Same here. Um, But it's kind of weird because like Luke's like his age. Yeah. It's (laughs) very true. Like what? It's like like looking at the weird carnival beer. But um, (laughs) and then, of course, after that, the film ends. Yes. And, you know, in the same way that we talked about before, where George was uh, sort of taking the at this point, the prequel trilogy into his tweaking of the stories in 2004 and adding in uh, Hayden Christensen as Vader um, in the same way that he added Doug in the cantina scene at night before Bausch uh, or Leia, you know, released uh, Han. You see Doug in that little quick little scene. He's sort of skulking along the side of the wall there. He's like throwing those prequel tie-ins yeah. to this to sort of make the film more familiar for the newer audiences who grew up on the prequel trilogy. And so you can sort of right. get it. And, okay, Anakin sort of, you know ceased to be a Jedi when he became Vader. And so you can sort of make the case for it. And But Sebastian, who was playing Vader, had met his redemption and was Anakin again at the end of the movie just a few minutes earlier. So... I can, like right. I said, I agree with you. You can sort of make the case for it, but it still kind of rings a bit hollow. Yeah. So, so that's kind of the gist of the changes. Yeah. So now, what is your number one worst and number one best change? Ooh. Um, I'm going to forego the your worst change the freaking ronto stepping in front of that droid isn't it you weirdo well i'm not gonna go with the obvious java first of all (laughs) (laughs) um i would say that the worst would probably be um aside from java which is just like a a egregious one i think the han shot first is just the one that just doesn't make any sense and i think he Mm -hmm. you know george has even contradicted himself in that you know he at one point said that he used that scene to set up the character that this is what he was going to be. And, Mm -hmm. but then he also then changed it. So he was giving a good message to kids about, you know, being aggressive. Yeah. One of the best scenes that I found that was seamless and really was a great enhancement was Wampa Lair. I loved the way that the technology was integrated in there and made an existing scene with a, obviously like brand new shots of like, we never even saw the full body of it. But it just felt yeah. very natural. It was one of my favorite uh, upgrades. Okay. Okay. Um, I, I think my my worst is also Hanshot first. Okay. Well, Hanshot second. Right. Well, you always said Hanshot only. Hanshot only. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, right. So, so there's that. Um, and then I think my favorite is the sort of animation of the creatures. Namely, the larger creatures that, that were just sort of stationary in the initial okay that are now you know mobile and and moving as creatures would mm. you know so it kind of doesn't suspend your disbelief right because yeah seeing them it's like oh they obviously didn't have the money to genetically engineer a lizard that size <laughs> and and it shows um <laughs> so to be able to have those creatures in there and actually have them moving and doing something makes sense so I think that's a great change that, that worked out for the better. You know, with that being said, mm-hmm. um, all of these innovations uh, from Lucasfilm and George and, and Disney and everyone involved in any aspect of Star Wars is, you know, it's constantly evolving. 
And, you know, that brings us to things like the volume and the practical and CGI sort of marriage, like for characters like Grogu and the stuff that they're doing with the aging with Luke in the Disney Plus series. So all that kind of stuff is, is like super cutting edge now, which, you know, is further changing the game. And paying homage to the original trilogy and keeping, you know, that spirit of the lived in world, but practical effects where you can. And that's that's a great thing because you can tell when it's created versus in, in camera or in situation. And the volume certainly helps a massive amount with that. You know, it's the spirit of George, what he did. It was constantly pushing the envelope of technology to tell the story, but not uh, letting it overpower the story to make it so obvious that it's uh, technology. Right. It's interesting to see now with the newer tech and everything that they're doing. For example, in The Force Awakens, when Kylo holds that blaster bolt and, you know, you see Poe like being dragged by it. And he's like, holy hell, there's a blaster bolt. Yeah, yeah. Got in the you know in midair like yeah. that kind of stuff and like you see the crackle like light up his face yeah like, like all that stuff is is super cool there's no way they would have been able to do um you know back then and 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 it just kind of keeps propelling things forward exponentially to where what they've done in the last ten years they'll probably be able to do in the next two or three years yes very cool yeah that's uh I I don't know I mean I'm I'm sure there's other stuff that we didn't. Yeah, there's other stuff about. that I, yeah, we didn't talk about. But um, but those are our notable scene changes and such. So um, if anybody uh, has any other ideas of uh, of good scenes that they liked or they, they want to correct us or talk about um, anything else that uh, is pertinent to this episode, they can reach out to us on the socials. Sure. Yeah. Or via email or mm-hmm. You know, the website or any of that good stuff. Yeah, that's very true. Very true. Yeah. Our website, of course, is conversations.com. We're on facebook.com slash conversations at Swations on Twitter, conversations on Instagram. The link tree has us and a lot of our links there into our shirt shop. And Red 5 Network is in there. Mm-hmm. So we've got our, our pals. From uh, Red Five, Row and Company, Row and Co. Um, <laughs> for all those other good friends of ours that are in our uh, our network there. Yeah, and you can see all those shows, thirty-seven plus shows at this point, at uh, bio.link/red5. Do you want to take us out? Oh, uh... could do it, Tim Morrison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tweet. Make it like the Banta. You're not good at this. No, I'm not. <laughs> I have no idea what to do. All right. Well, okay. I guess I'll do it. The force will be with you. Always. See? Why would I even try? <laughs> Why do I even try? <laughs> I'm sorry, Master. I'll try to do better. <laughs> That's what uh, I should have done. <laughs> yes. <laughs>